welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Grab a seat. I gotta, I gotta jump in. Okay, so I know some of you are here checking out the family members, dedicating kids, and now you're stuck. And so sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not sorry. Some of you, uh, if you need to go, that's fine. But we are a church. And we, uh, as a church, we're not putting this on as an event. We are gathered as the people of God. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Amen. Let's pray for that baby later. Um. (laughs) So, all right. I'm going to pray in one second. But before that, we're in a series called Kingdom Culture. And we are a church trying to uh, build culture of the kingdom wherever we go right now. So we're teaching this series, and I'm really excited about it, and we've been building on it um, from the message of Jesus the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're now turning towards um, this, this, this uh, way of reflecting over the scriptures that what you see Jesus embody and carry throughout the gospels is a type of culture. And so we're going to talk about kingdom culture today. Culture is built through values practiced over a long period of time. So as we teach about empowerment culture, and as we move on and talk about a culture of wholeness, a culture of freedom, or whatever we talk about, we have to recognize that these are also values that we need to practice over a long period of time for them to be embodied in us. Today, I'm going to talk about a major part of God's character and nature, and it's a fundamental aspect of what it means to participate in the kingdom of God. And at the end, we're going to get really practical. So I have a sermon, and I also have ministry time prepared. I feel like the Lord wants to do some things. So today, we're going to talk about building a, a culture of generosity. And right, right away, I need you to hear this, um, and then I'm going to pray. In, if we want to see renewal or revival in our city, in our nation, in our lives, we have to recognize that there's a direct correlation to revival and renewal and generosity. That if we want to influence our nations or the nations or our neighborhoods, we need to become good stewards of our households. And that we can't build kingdom culture without a heart of generosity. So before I jump into the text, um, now that I got your attention, I'm going to do a prayer of release. Because the moment a pastor starts talking about money, we all feel the tension. And you're all looking at me now like I have a hidden agenda. And I do. I, I do. You want to know what my agenda is? For you to fall in love with Jesus. For you to become a full disciple of Jesus. And Jesus talks more about money than anything else other than the kingdom of God. Why? Anyone know? It's, because it's the closest thing to our heart. And so what I want is your heart. I don't, I, we'll talk about that in a second. And I want you to release. So here's what I know the enemy is going to do. He's going to cause some distrust right now in, in my intention. So I, I'm going to pray against that. The second thing is as we begin to talk about this, things are going to come up in your mind, and you're going to feel shame, some of you. And shame is from the enemy. Guilt and conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Guilt is I've done something bad which is normal. The Holy Spirit is always trying to shift us to move us to become the person we were designed to be in the first place. And sometimes we recognize, oh, I'm missing it. He's like, yeah, here's how you missed it. Now let's move on. Shame keeps you here. And guilt is I've done something bad. Shame is I am bad. And that's, there's no place for shame in this conversation because there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? 
So what we're talking about today is going to cause some, some shifts in your heart and your mindset and in your life. But I want the Holy Spirit to do what he can only do. Not because I'm a good teacher or maybe I'm not a good teacher. Not because I have a lot of good things to say. Maybe I don't have a lot of good things to say. But because the Holy Spirit wants to do something in our church. Because he wants to do something in our city. And he wants to do something in the nations. And I have the audacity to believe that God wants to do something major through this church. This local church. And it starts right now. So can we open up our hands and I'll just pray that the Holy Spirit moves powerfully. Father, we know your love is extravagant and Holy Spirit, you love to pour out your presence upon your people in lavish ways. So I pray that you give us freedom now to release our past. I pray that you break generational sin, systemic poverty, scarcity mindset. I pray that you break shame and fear around finances. I pray for all the anxiety and insecurity and financial scarcity that we have, that this would be a place where God's grace was so powerfully at work there would be no need, but also that you give us tools to live our daily lives, our budgets, our finances, our time, our energy, our, all of our resources in the power and value of the kingdom of God. So release us to be a generous church so that we would see revival in our lifetime. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. We're going to start with, I have seven points, and I'm going to, they're not all equal, so they'll go fast some, some will go really slow, and there you go. And then we're going to land practically, so we're going to do this with a time, I have a timer on here so I can get you out, okay? I might sound fast, but I'm going to be really slow in my heart, so <laughs> whatever that means. Matthew chapter 9, look, at, this is a summary of Jesus' ministry in Matthew's gospel, chapter 9, verse 35. It's going to sound familiar. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogue, proclaiming the kingdom, uh, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. The word compassion in Greek is not so helpful. He was moved deeply. His stomach was wrenched from the inside out, what he saw, because he saw them as harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So Jesus' ministry in Matthew's gospel, proclaim the kingdom, healing the sick, casting out demons, um, and he sees crowds and he has compassion. And his response to the crowd is compassion. And then he says to his disciples, hey, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers, workers that will take care of the people. And look at what he does. The next verse, chapter 10, verse one. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease. Skip to verse uh, six, uh, verse seven. As you go, so he sends them out. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. The message version has that last part, freely you have received, freely give. It says this, you have been treated generously, so live generously. Seven points right now on building a culture of generosity. First of all, Jesus' compassion leads to generosity. Point number one, generosity is the strategy for expanding the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen from the mouth of babes. 
Truth knows truth. I'm just saying. <laughs> Generosity is a strategy for expanding the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus sees the great need. And what is his strategy? His strategy, Jesus gives what he has to his followers so his followers can give what they receive to the world. You catch that? There's this great need. What are we going to do? Pray that the Lord sends workers. And Jesus then gives what he has, his ministry to his disciples. And he says, freely you've received, freely give. The strategy for expanding the kingdom on earth is through the disciples to receive what they get from Jesus and extend that everywhere they go, wherever they go. Generosity is the strategy for kingdom expansion. This is the key that we have to recognize that when the kingdom strategy of expansion is simply empowering others to live generously with the resources of heaven on earth, wherever they go, as they go. This is how the kingdom builds. Point number one, got it? Point number two, generosity aligns our lives to the heart of God and the values of the kingdom. Generosity is like going to a chiropractor, right? There's a spiritual alignment that takes place when we step into the generous flow of giving. The, gen the generous flow of the kingdom always flows in the direction of giving. What do I mean by this? Well, when we are generous with everything we have, we are aligning ourselves to the heart of God. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he... Yeah, interesting. He didn't save it up for tomorrow. He didn't steward it, which we'll talk about in a second. God so loved the world that he stewarded his son. Is that a, can I say? God so loved the world that he gave. There's this overflow, this direction of where God's heart goes. And when we step into generosity, we step into the flow of the kingdom in God's heart. When we use our resources in a way that, ex, that rev, uh, generosity aligns our hearts, our lives with God and reveals the heart and nature of God wherever we go, all right? So have you ever had friends who have tried to get you into like an investment of any kind? Maybe you're one of those friends. I gotta tell you about this deal. They email you like, hey, let's hang out and get coffee. And you're like, cool. And then it's like the, the thing over their eyes, like all of a sudden the tone, it's like, oh, how are your friends? How's your family? Cool. Hey, I'm doing this thing. And then it's like the sales pitch. Do you know, some of you are called out right now on what you're doing to your friends. And the, it, there's always this thing, like, there's, it's too good to be, it's like, you, you got to get in now. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you, like, got into investments like Netflix or Instagram. You got Apple, along, and you got in when it was good, and then there was, like, this exponential growth. But most of the time, it's too good to be true. But when I think of generosity, I think about getting in on an investment before it, it takes off. Like, this is how, I don't know why. I'm just giving you my perspective. I had this story. Um, we were telling stories in our staff, and our youth pastor, Amy, was telling us a story about a family in our church that had need for a utility bill. And she was telling the story, saying we received way more through a text message through uh, youth leaders about this need um, in their youth, that there was, there were, there was so much um, provision that they were going to have an abundance. And I was like, in the meeting, I'm like, hey, have you given the money yet? And she's like, no, not yet. And in my mind, I'm going, great, I need to get in on this. This is how I think. Whenever I see people organizing a gift, organizing generously for someone else, Alex and I, as a discipline, want to get in, whether it's $5 or $20 or $200, because we see it as God's generous flow. We want to be a part of that. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's how we need to see generosity. 
It's an investment in eternal things that aligns us to the heart and nature and character of God. And when we use our resources in such a way, we reflect to the world God's heart and nature. How are we doing, guys? It's pretty good. That's just two points. We got five more. Okay, generosity, number three. Generosity is a countercultural way of life. It challenges a life shaped by the world's values. So the world, from the moment we were born to the, the little cries that you hear right now, the world is shaping every human to focus, especially in our culture, to, it's being shaped by a mindset of self-focus and consumerism. So we don't even have to try. We are naturally being spiritually formed by the world unintentionally. So we've talked about this in our series, Practicing the Way of Jesus. We talked about the need for intentional spiritual formation into Christ's likeness to challenge or counterform us against the unintentional spiritual formation by the world and its values. So we are, sh- we are, we are being shaped by consumerism, by advertisements, by media, by narratives for the good or the bad. That's just reality. That's not like, it's not news to you, hopefully. It's what it is. The moment we're born, we are being shaped by American consumer culture, which its whole premise of consumerism is built on scarcity. This idea that the moment you're born, you are not enough. That's what scarcity is. There's not enough out there. But, but what consumerism has done in, in the last, I don't know, 50 years, has basically pitched and sold this idea that you are not enough. And the solution to the deep pain inside of you, which is not being enough, is to consume more. It's not even to consume the right things. It's just you plus X equals happiness. And X is more. Whatever it is, more media, more information, more clothing, more anything. So we live on this society that's been built, this economic society, this consumer society built on scarcity. But what happens when we grow in the kingdom of God? Jesus challenges the mindset of scarcity and defining yourself by not being enough and moves you to a mindset of abundance, which the moment we step into the kingdom, we have more than enough. We have a, a father who wants to lavish his children with extravagance, not just to get by. Can we, how are we doing? Are we all right? Now, I know I'm, I'm going to start now, right now, is where your minds, you're going to start feeling uncomfortable because I'm going to talk about things that I've been, I feel like the Lord has given me revelation about in my own life. But when we, when we grow in the kingdom, we move from scarcity mindset to abundance mindset. Scarcity is store up, save, keep it for yourself. You don't know what the future holds, so we got to be, we got to make sure that we hold on to it. Abundance is there, there will always be enough for everyone, because my God is, my Father is a generous giver. And when we, those are two different mindsets. It's kind of like going to the movies and bringing Reese's, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Immediately. Let me just, let me just demonstrate just a second. Um, so, so one way to look at it is like, let's say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to sit right here. Let's say that I'm hanging out with Nathan right here, and I brought Reese's, and Re- Nathan didn't bring anything to the movies, but he's my buddy. I start making this noise, and Nathan goes, which he would never do because I know Nathan, hey, can I have some? Are you on the fast yes. right now? So you can't eat this either. Who's not fasting right now? All right, right here. So, <laughs> so I... I have my Reese's and I look at the Reese's and this is like individual. So this is actually broken up into like little sizes. But like I give based on what I'm going to have left. How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
So I, I'm going to give it to you. There you go. Bless you, sister. More, more of you. More of that. So oftentimes when we, when we live with scarcity mindset, it's like Reese's, right? So we, we live our lives with giving or, or living based on what we're going to have left. That's, the, that's a scarcity mindset. How many of you have been to the movies lately and got the extra? This is not an extra large. I use this bucket on purpose because from now on, as we pass these buckets, which we'll do as response today, I want you to see this illustration every time the bucket comes past. Okay? So what Jesus trains us to have is an abundance mindset. How many of you have ordered the extra large popcorn? How many of you know that the extra large popcorn comes with free refills, which is insane because it's so big, you don't ever need free refills. Even though it's $30 and a mortgage, you will still buy it because you know there's more where that came from. And when you walk into the theater with an extra large popcorn, I'm going to go right here. It's kind of like this, right? Oh, sorry. It's like, you don't care what's happening over here. And you're like, oh, sorry, I just spilled some coffee. I'm so sorry. That's ice all over the floor. But it's like, oh, do you want, you want some of this? You guys, you can have some popcorn because there's enough to go around. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is the kingdom of God. Next time, excuse me, I didn't mean to kick you. We'll pray for healing later if you need it. So next time these buckets pass, we have to think, what mindset do we carry? Do you have an abundance mindset? Do you know that there is more where that came from? And when, this is the other thing about getting your hearts aligned. When someone else receives it, your friend or your coworker or your enemy, we don't have enemies in the kingdom. We don't have that luxury. <clears throat> Just a side note. Um, do you bless it and say, Lord, I want more for that, more for them? Or do you hold out going, when is it my turn to get it? What I've seen is the moment a friend gets breakthrough in their life, I pray more of it for them because I always know there's a generous flood that's going to happen. Do you carry abundance or scarcity mindset? Do you know that there's an unlimited supply? Do you know that? Jesus wants to confront the destructive mindset and Jesus wants to train his followers to possess, steward, and use money, possessions, and wealth in a way that extends the kingdom of God on earth. Now, let's, let's talk about that for a second. Jesus identifies in Matthew chapter 6 that the greatest threat to discipleship is putting our trust in money, wealth, and possessions. This is the greatest threat to your discipleship to Jesus Christ, which is why I'm talking about this. The greatest threat is not liberalism or crazy conservatism, whatever spectrum you're here. The greatest threat is not secularism or atheism. The greatest threat is your trust in wealth and possessions. Now, most of us don't have a good theology of money. The problem with our view of money is that we believe the biblical solution is simply to give away everything we have. How many of you carry that? Okay, I'll just be the only one. Okay, that's fine. Like morally, we think that the best thing to do with money is to give it all away because of a few passages of scripture that we've taken, but mainly because that has been the dominant narrative of the evangelical church. And pastors throughout history have abused that passage and they taught that. Best thing to do is give to our church. One of the problems in my own life is that I've, I've read this passage that I'm gonna read now, Luke chapter 18, um, and I thought that that actually is what Jesus taught, and it's not what he teaches. So I'm going to correct a teaching I've done in the past right now. How are we doing? Are we all right with that? 
Are we in process together? Is the AC on? Because I'm getting hot, right? <laughs> Luke 18, 18, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Not where do I go when I die? How do I live the blessed life now? The, the abundant life that is really life now. That's the question. It's not how do I get to heaven? Because that's not what a Jewish person would have asked in the first century. He, Jesus responds about the Ten Commandments. And then at verse 22, he says, you, Jesus says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. There it is. There's that passage. Then come follow me. And look at what it says. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and that translation wealthy had lots of stuff. Literally, that's the tr translation. Okay. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard him say this out loud, they said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is impossible with God. Now, I'm going to quote Dallas Willard again. <laughs> so hopefully you know I love Dallas. But here he is. He wrecked my view. In his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, I've read four times. And I think I've skipped this chapter or I just haven't paid attention to it. But the Lord showed it to me this week and I was wrecked. Because this is what he says about this, this particular verse. Because the young man's heart was indeed in the wrong place, he turned away from Jesus. Jesus' word revealed his true God. For even though he sincerely professed to keep the commandments and had recognized divinity in Jesus, he was unwilling to forsake his riches and keep the first commandment by following him. In the discussion with his disciples following this event, Jesus reflected out loud how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. This was a shock to his hearers because in those days, Rich were, all, or were, of all people, thought most certainly to be under the blessing of God. Just as now the prejudice runs in the favor of the poor. How are we doing, church? Hence, those who heard Jesus say this asked in surprise, then who can be saved? He replied that things impossible with the range of human power are nevertheless possible with God. It is almost universally held today that, this, that in this passage, Jesus says it is easier for the poor to be saved than the rich. But he says no such thing. You only have to look at his words to see this. The point of the passage has nothing to do with the relative positions of the poor and rich. What he teaches here is simply that it is no easy thing for the rich to enter under the rule of the kingdom. He goes on to say this, and I don't have it up there. Let's be clear about one thing. Whoever cannot have riches without worshiping them above God should get rid of them, if that will enable him or her to trust and serve God rightly. Poverty in itself is no recommendation to God and no means of grace. I don't know if that hit you hard. It hit me real hard this week because I'm realizing now that my, my, my view of money was shaped by some poor theology of money. And what I realized is I thought what Jesus wanted of a righteous person, because I'm the type of guy that has to succeed, anyone, you know, fear of failure, do everything the best as hard and strong as possible. If anyone knows the Enneagram, I'm a three, right? So need to succeed. So what that means is I'm constantly trying to perform for God. 
So if I know that to, to be more blessed by God, which is a poor theology, is to give all my money away, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end up doing that. How are we doing? What I realized is that actually is negligence to the gifts that God wants to give his people. In fact, it's not helpful in extending the kingdom. That if, and it seems like that would be the obvious answer based on the text, but what he's getting at is something else. And Dallas goes on to say this. Should we not be like the birds of the air, which sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, Matthew 6, 26? That seems to be the true life of faith, and that's what I viewed. If that's true, though, how could we fail to include poverty in our list of the central disciplines for spiritual life? There is a very good reason why not, and here's where it kicked me. The idealization of poverty is one of the most dangerous illusions of Christians in the contemporary world. Stewardship, which requires possessions, owning stuff, and includes giving, is the true spiritual discipline in relation to wealth. In other words, the solution to faith and money is not simply give everything you have away and live in poverty. The solution is stewardship on behalf of God. Jesus wants to train his followers to possess, steward, and use money and possessions and wealth in a way that extends the kingdom of God on earth. How are we doing? Is that okay? That could be an entire sermon in itself. That's point three. Point four. Based off of this, here's where we're going. We're going to build something. We're good. We're good on time. Point number four. Generosity. How do we, we're talking about how do we build a culture of generosity. Generosity requires discipline. Generosity requires discipline. Generosity is a condition of the heart and a way of life. We have to train our hearts to be generous in the same way we have to train our hearts and minds to be patient. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you are impatient? How many of you lack generosity? See, we're not going to say that. Oh, well, maybe we will. Oh, I'm surprised, but... We'll say I'm impatient or I have a temper and I'll talk about how God is training me in patience. You want to know how he's training me in patience? By giving me a son that requires patience. <laughs> it's not like I'm going to be zapped and be the perfect dad at the bedtime routine. Ezra, get over here and brush your teeth. Ezra, for the love of all that is sacred and holy, brush your teeth every single night. Please just come. That's how it ends. Am I right? You lost, your re- you lost two books tonight, bud. Get to bed. <sighs> oh, Jesus. <clears throat> Can I eat this on our fast? Is this okay? No, oh. You're right. It doesn't. Oh. So we have to train ourselves. Now I'm going to choke on this. When we are growing in generosity, when we are growing in generosity, giving is the primary, listen to this, spiritual discipline or tool that shapes your heart. We'll talk about tithing in a second. Tithing is a spiritual discipline. Tithing is not generosity. I need water. Thank you, babe. Thanks, Bob. Tithing is, yeah, good toss. I know it was a good catch, right? That was, the light was in my eye. I'm choking. I'm half breathing. I'm half alive, and I caught it. Yes. Thank you. Good throw. Prophet is no, not honored in his hometown. First um, <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, 
that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So if you are giving all the time, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean you become generous. Generosity is a condition of the heart. It's like you have to grow in it. In the same way, like I was talking to a, a guy earlier today, and Miles, and we were talking about training for the marathon again. If you want to run a marathon, you want to run 26 miles. I know what it takes to run 26 miles, and it is not easy. Running the 26 miles is really hard, and nobody should do it ever again, <laughs> except in October when we do it again. But, but you have to prepare your body to do that. If I tried to run 12 miles right now, I could not do it. I would die. In fact, on Saturday, I tried to run for just a little bit, and I ran half a mile total there and back. I couldn't keep going because I'm out of shape. I haven't been running because it's something you have to condition yourself for. That's what training does. The question is, what are you training for? And we'll talk about the purposes of generosity in in just a second, but generosity requires discipline. I, I, yeah, so I'm going to keep going. So generosity requires, requires discipline. Number five, generosity requires stewardship. And this is what Dallas was getting at that for me is really challenging my, my view of money and finances and wealth and what it means to live in abundance here and now. Um, and I think I've been so messed up by two perspectives. The prosperity gospel, which essentially says God wants to give you a Cadillac, right? Give money to this charity. God's going to bless you a hundred times and bless you financially now. Now, the problem with that is that's not fully true, and it's, but it's partially true, which we'll talk about. But the other side is that to be holy is to give everything away, and God desires you to sacrifice and live in poverty, which as a pastor, that is predominantly the view I've carried, that I need to sacrifice, my family sacrifice for this call, for this mission. And there's truth to that to some degree, but a lot of it is coming from an unhealthy mindset. Do you know what I'm talking about? So generosity requires stewardship. I think biblically, what you see, in order to be generous, one must first be a steward. I would argue you can't be generous without being a good steward. Here's a definition I want to give you from Donald Craybill in the book Upside Down Kingdom. He says, in Hebrew, steward means manager over the house. The steward is an official who controls a large household for the master. It's certainly fitting for Christians to use the term stewardship to describe our relationship to property because the concept reminds us that God, in fact, owns the property. So we're all managers. We're not, and we're, none of us are owners. Does that make sense? That's what he's getting at. Are we okay? I'm going to keep going. Are we okay? Did you hear what I said? Even if you have lots of homes, lots of cars, and lots of stuff, you're not an owner. According to this uh, understanding of Scripture, you're simply a manager. You're a steward. But uh, what do we mean by stewardship? It's helpful to distinguish between the wishes of the owner and the wishes of the steward. The steward is responsible to manage the property according to the master's wishes, not the steward's. We sometimes, this this is so true. Lord Jesus, here we go. We sometimes use the term stewardship to whitewash our own desires. We may, for example, say stewardship means taking whatever resources we have, multiplying them as fast as possible, and using them for our own uh, purposes. Oftentimes, I hear Christians use this as a way to not be generous. They talk about stewardship in a way that simply empowers selfish living. 
rather than empowering the kingdom. A steward is someone who manages the resources on behalf of the owner. So a steward in the kingdom is one who cares and cultivates their whole life, including their resources and finances and possession, possessions on behalf of God's desires, values, and purposes, not their own. How are we doing, church? We all right? Can I just leave that one? Point number six, you just want me to get through it? I'll, just, I'll be done. If you're, if you, is it hurting? Six, stewardship leads to true riches. Stewardship leads to true, true riches. Giving what you have is the key to increasing what you carry. Generosity increases and expands your world. So when you step out to be generous, as you step into that generosity, God will increase what you carry. When you learn to give away whatever it is you have, last week I talked about mentors, giving away. If you've learned anything in the kingdom, give it away. That's the, the, the fastest way to carry more in the kingdom of God, by giving it away. How are we doing? Luke 16 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you your own property? No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So this is what Jesus says. If you can be trusted with those very little things, money, then I will give you greater things, true riches to carry. So he's saying, if you have been trustworthy with your income and money here, the very little kind of things in life, then God will entrust you with true riches. And then the King James Version, I love what it says. He says, he that is faithful in that which is least is, faithful, is also faithful with much. So if you want to grow in true wealth, practice and learn stewardship and generosity. So I'll, I'll keep going on this, just a second. But I want to give a quick disclaimer. Number one, money and possessions can be enjoyed and stewarded well at the same time. You can enjoy the things that God gives you. Can we, can we be okay with that? And in the kingdom of God, the, what, this should be a whole other talk, which it will be in a couple, after Easter. Um, the way it works out is in a community, we should all share our stuff anyway. So some of you have houses that you share. Extra homes, extra cars, extra things. Some of you lack, and others in the community have extra, so we share. So that's one way that it works out, that it's okay for you to enjoy the things that God gives you, and you can steward it at the same time. It's, that goes to point number two. Money is not, the, is not evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. So I've been thinking about possession, and I realize that oftentimes my view of finances and money and possessions is this, that the reason it's hard to be rich is because you have lots of things, right? The reason it's hard to enter the kingdom of God is you have lots of things, right? And wealth and money and resource. And I've thought about that um, to teach. So I thought the quickest way to, 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 to have a biblical view of money is to give everything away so you don't have lots of things. I practice minimalism, literally practice minimalism as, as, a view, as being shaped by that view. And what the Lord showed me is actually you can have lots and lots of stuff, homes, wealth, businesses, trips, travel, and none of the stuff actually, none of that stuff is where you place your trust or owns you. And in the same way, you can have none of the things 
You could have absolutely, you could be living, living in poverty with no possessions and still have your trust and heart in those things. Do you see the, the, what's going on? What we want to say is the solution. This is why I think the enemy has confused the American church. We think the solution is just to not have anything and give it all away. But that's, that's what, what's happening with that is it's disabling the way God will extend his kingdom and power through stewardship and a heart of generosity. Choosing to build life here and now wisely with the power of the Holy Spirit in the power of the kingdom and lifting people out of poverty to experience what God has to offer them here and now. Does that make sense? Now, this is controversial, but you can look it up. Read Dallas Willard, okay? Read the chapter by Dallas. I know it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the gospel of Dallas. But anyways, <laughs> it's not. It's not. I just heard that, so I stole it. So when we steward what we have with the kingdom values, God increases our capacity to handle true wealth and riches. If we are faithful with our income, he will increase our influence in this life and in the age to come. It's not, so what we want to do is treasures in heaven, right? And Dallas talks about this in a different book. Treasures in heaven, we think, okay, one day I'll have a mansion when I die. But actually what, what that language, treasures in heaven, we have access to those things now. We have access to the eternal power of God here and now. And so I invite you to explore what that looks like. So here's some practicals that we're going to end with. And we're doing good on time. I'm doing good on time. You are doing great. But we definitely need the air conditioning on. Do you agree? Can someone turn on the AC? Anybody? It's not on. I seriously can't feel anything. You get a fan up here. I'm doing all this work and I'm sweating. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. How do you build a culture of generosity in your life? How do you build it practically? So here's a couple of questions. If you want to build, if we want to build the kingdom, Jesus first needs to be king of our lives. Remember, the kingdom of God is what life would look like if God was in charge. So if God were in charge of your finances, what would he say? What would change? I want you to write that down. And if you're someone that actually reflects some messages and you don't just, you know, wait for lunch, but if you take some time this week to think, if God were in charge of my resources. So one way to say it is, does my budget, my spending, my savings, my debt, my giving, and my desires reflect God's heart to the world around me? Remember, generosity aligns you with God's heart. Are you reflecting God's heart and nature to the world? So if you were to look at your bank account, if you were to look at the last year of spending, and you got a pie chart of everything, what would that pie chart communicate to the world. Now, here's where shame wants to creep in. I told you it was coming. The enemy wanted, wants to right now take you out and say that you're not doing enough, that you are bad, that you're a failure, and that's the enemy. So we're going we're gonna to call that lie out right now and remind you that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. See, what we want to do in church is we want to make the cross about spiritual things. But the cross is about your whole life, okay? Including your money, including your time and your calendar and your parenting and your dating relationships. The whole thing is part of the cross. So if you're here and you've neglected this reality of stewarding resources on behalf of Jesus, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Repent and believe the good news. Readjust the position of life and begin to move forward in partnership with the Holy Spirit to become the person you were meant to be in the first place. Are we doing okay? So now that that's out of the way, we can keep going. How do we build 
a culture of generosity. How do you build a culture of generosity in your life? Point number one. I want you to take an inventory of your resources and let God audit your bank accounts and spending habits. Okay, time out. I need to sit down for this. I'm going to talk about practicals right now. It's going to get real practical. Do you have any idea why these practicals are so important? for our big, expansive vision. I'm not going to ask you to tithe because I think the, the garden needs more money. I'm going to ask you to get your hearts aligned with God because I really believe in our lifetime the solution to the world's greatest issues that our culture and society, nation, city faces is found in this room. God, I believe that the family of God is the solution to the world's greatest issues that we're seeing across the world right now. That if we could, God's showing me, if we could raise up sons and daughters to become reigning fathers and mothers that stand in a culture with financial insecurity as financially worry-free people, if we can learn how to deal with anxiety and have healthy relationships, emotionally healthy relationships, that that would be a testimony to the world. If we could use our resources in a way that extends the kingdom. I'm not just saying give all your money to the church. I'm saying, no, invest in businesses and expand and be the best entrepreneurs in the, pot, in the world and make lots of money and don't just give it away, but invest in the resources of the kingdom everywhere you go. Then we can see the kingdom expanding all over the place. That God is just as excited about you serving on Sunday as he is about you going to work on Monday and doing your job in the power of the Holy Spirit. That whatever you experience in the prayer time here should be carried into your nine to five, into your home life. And if we don't see that the small micro habits have macro eternal consequences, then we don't get what Jesus is teaching. How are we doing? So point number one is take an inventory of your resources and let God audit your bank accounts and spending habits. Point number two, make a plan. If you're here and you're like 90% of everyone else in the room, you aren't living on a budget. Live on a budget. Learn what a budget means because generosity requires discipline. And some of you are like, oh, I don't want to feel like the lack of freedom. I, I, wanna, I don't want to feel tied down. Or That's not honoring God with your finances. I, I've said this in premarital classes and I'll say it to you real quick, Lena. I say if you don't live on a budget, you live in sin. Okay, maybe not sin. That's a little harsh but you're missing it. And if you don't know what to do, Financial Peace University, I'm so convinced that we need to get our, our finances in order as a people, not for the church, but for the world, that we're putting, we're gonna start doing Financial Peace University until we write our own course, okay? So what I would like, if, you, if you're here and you're in debt, if you don't know how to get a basic budget, if you don't have a savings account, or if you're lacking resources, go to Financial Peace Class and get a plan in order. We're gonna start hosting. Can you put this slide up? It's at the end, I think. The FPU class is gonna start after Easter, and we're doing signups. Let's see if it comes up. I've given you so many slides today, and you're crushing it back there. Um, okay, we'll put it up at the end. Financial Peace University, we're gonna start after Easter. You can sign up online if you want information. There it is. So sign up for Financial Peace University. Number three, um, get your, uh, live on a budget and steward your resources with kingdom values. Get out of debt, save, and give. Now, I know I'm saying all this. And you're like, how do I get out of debt? How do I save? I don't have enough. Well, we're gonna help you. As a church, we need to help each other. And imagine if the garden was 100% debt-free. 
just real quick, would that be a witness of the resurrected Messiah to the world? Oh, our church, we have no debt. I'm serious. What if there are no credit card debts, no health debts because of health issues? There are no unnecessary burdensome debts, which is oppressive. Okay, keep going. Now you're like, Darren, you're crazy. Okay, number three, we're, 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 now we're over time. Practice the spiritual discipline of tithing regularly. I'm just gonna read this. Practice the spiritual discipline of tithing regularly. Tithing is a, is a discipline that leads to generosity. Tithing in itself is not generosity. A tithe means 10th. It's an Old Testament concept. It's not from the law at first. It comes from Abraham. And it means giving 10% of whatever your resources or income are, is to the Lord. And the problem I have with tithing, even though I'm asking you to tithe, the problem I have with tithing is that we focus on the, what we give, the 10%, rather than the 90% we keep for ourselves. And the biblical view or the New Testament view is not only to train ourselves in giving generously, tithe is a, a uh, un, it, tithe is giving to a local church. This is what I think of tithe is giving to a local church with no strings attached. We love cause giving or casual giving, but our, uh, most people love to give to a cause. I want to give to the Christ, the refugee crisis. We want to give here. We'll do water wells, all of that. But most people have not trained themselves to give to a local body with no strings attached. That's what a tithe is. And when we focus on what we give 10%, we don't focus on the 90. So that's where stewardship comes in. A couple of stats on tithes. Nationwide study shows that less than 70% of church goers give regularly, which is true. Less than 17%. Eight out of 10 people who tithe have no credit, debt, credit card debt and are 30% debt free. Isn't that cool? You want, you want to get your finances in order? Start giving regularly. On average, Christians, listen, this was shocking. On average, Christians give 2.5% of their income. That's less per capita than during the Great Depression. That's crazy. Now, it's not the wealthy who always tithes. The statistics suggest that if you make less than 20,000, you're eight times more likely to give than someone who makes more than 75,000. And then millennials, which we have a lot of millennials. We are a multi-generational church, but there are a lot of millennials. If you, live from, if you were born 1981 to 1997, you make up 30% of the population, but you only give 7% of all donations. Reoccurring givers, annually, uh, reoccurring givers annually donate 42% more than first, uh, one-time givers. So there's three. So I want to invite you to tithe. Point number four, uh, four, practically, how do you build a culture of generosity? Be generous everywhere with everyone always. I want to invite you to tip generously. <laughs> we did this before. But I want to go, I want the, the, the in our city, I want restaurants, coffee shops, people to know that a gardener came to visit based on how generous we are, not just in our tip, but in our spirit towards the service industry. Also, if you own a, a business, I want the way you steward your, 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 your people, your employees, your team with generous hearts. We should know that we're changing the culture by our generosity. So give generously everywhere you can. I don't have time to get into these. Carry cash around. And be proactive in giving, not just reactive. Recently, and, and I, Alex and I are regularly trying to push the envelope, trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. A couple, weeks, a, couple, a couple weeks ago, I talked about the ways I got it wrong via conflict with Alex. I don't know if I'm getting it wrong with this, but I want to share a quick story recently where I felt like the Lord say while I was running, um, hey, Darren, I want you to take a large chunk of cash out of your savings and carry that cash around between you and Alex and give it away to strangers. And I was like, ah. Uh. So I talked to Alex. 
And Alex was like, ah, you know, she, and then she was like, let's do it. Um, and so we, we gave this large chunk of cash over the last, was it a month and a half, babe? What, it's been like a month and a half. We still have like a little bit left that we're trying to give away, right? We had a, how much? $24 left that we're going to give away today. We're like, we got to get it out of our hands. Um, but the Lord, what, what happened was we carried all this cash, more cash than we ever have. But we're looking for opportunities to give. Like we're literally now walking down Second Street. Like where, where, where can we give? Like what can, wh- where can we buy lunch? Where can, and we're looking proactively to be generous as a symbol of God's provision in our life, as a way of aligning ourselves. And I told you last week that we decided to do this and then immediately we were met with opposition in our finances. Dental bills out the way. I don't even want to tell you what happened with our kids' teeth because it's just embarrassing. But there's that. Like so many things, tax, the tax thing, like the way to go, the United States government for messing up, the whatever they messed up, not giving me what I got last year back, even though I didn't make more. Anyway, so all sorts of things like that. But what it's trained me in is recognizing that um, I am usually not being proactive and looking to bless. I'm always reactive. So walking around with cash has been exciting. Like, I want to I give, I want to give this thing away. And I just encourage you to try it. Take out some cash and be proactive. Buy somebody's coffee. Buy somebody's press juicery. Whatever, like buy whatever that just opened on Second Street. You're welcome. All rights reserved. Press juicery. All right. So I'm going over now. 50, I knew it was going to be 50 minutes, but I knew God wanted to do something. I'm going to end with this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will be abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Which way? In every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Point number seven, generosity always points people back to God. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.